Although the characters we discuss are fictional, the challenges people face every day are not. The information we provide in this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you are struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Jedi Council Podcast, where we explore mental health in your favorite fictional characters. Hey folks, welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council Podcast. This is your graduate student co-host, Brandon Saxton. And your associate professor co-host, Katie Gordon. How are you doing today, Katie? I'm good. I'm very excited about today's guest. How are you? I'm good, and I'm even more excited about today's guest. I don't know if that's possible. (laughs) Let's not make it a competition. That's a good point. Should we introduce our guest? (laughs) So today, our very special guest, who's busy, very busy, and making time for us, which I really appreciate, is Rudy Caceres, who is a mental health advocate. He is the host of the Facebook live show, No Restraints, which is also available on his website. We'll make sure to link to that in our show notes. He also, um, per his Twitter bio, says um, he has, as descriptors, host of No Restraints, bipolar, suicide survivor, anti-force treatment, and sometimes... I write. I'm sorry, it says I sometimes write. And he was named the 2017 Mental Health Hero by the Mighty Site for being a social media superstar. I've certainly seen that. I think oh, that Rudy is consistently through Twitter and Facebook and different arenas getting out good, compassionate information about mental health. And I want to just briefly read a letter that from um, that was submitted to the Mighty for that award because I think a paragraph from it really captures Rudy. It says, Rudy inspires and supports so many mental health advocates and people with lived experience of mental health challenges and disabilities. He gives so much of himself with humility, humor, grace, integrity, and compassion. He gives so much to others that we feel compelled to support him. He has rare qualities of people with lived experience, the ability to let others shine, to collaborate and support others, to find ways to elevate others and help them find their place. So thank you, Rudy. And how are you doing today? Wow, that really gave me the warm fuzzies. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, hello, Katie and Brandon. Um, I'm excited to be on this show because I get to talk with you. You were actually a guest on my show, Katie, about a couple months ago. So on No Restraints. So that was a fun time to talk to you because I've been looking for a way to collaborate. And now I'm on Jedi Council, you and Brandon. It's my first time talking to you, Brandon. So excited for that as well. Yeah, it's a great crossover event. And I think that no being on No Restraints, what I really like about your show is that you have a really great diversity of guests on and true to the show's name, you ask some difficult questions and talk about important topics. And I just think that kind of honesty is so important for moving mental health conversations forward. So so incredibly inspiring, if I can say so, Mm -hmm. because a lot of the stuff is hard to talk about. So I really appreciate the way that you're able to kind of bring those topics forward. Well, thank you. You know, I've been doing Facebook live interviews since last May And it's been a real learning process. I knew when I first started I was going to suck. And I kind of just stumbled (laughs) upon it. I thought it was just going to be a one-off thing. And it just kept growing and growing and growing. So now I don't think I've missed a Friday probably since, like, fall. 
And that's a good thing because I like what I do. It's It feels rewarding to talk to all these people. Many times I have only talked to them just through messaging. So to actually see their face like you, Katie, and others, it's, it's a great experience. And I wouldn't have this uh, any other way to be able to do these interviews and ask the hard questions. That's very important. Because I think at first I was a little scared to ask tough questions for fear that like maybe like they'll <laughs> they'll they'll go away they'll 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 cancel the interview or like they'll they'll walk off sign off or anything like that so it's it's have yet to do that so thank you Katie for for taking on the tough questions and for hanging in there with me. Well, I I think I I think it's important especially me because I tend to personally like Brandon and I have talked about this a little with kind of our own podcast that there are certain topics we're very comfortable talking about and others not as much, but often those are the most important to shine a light on. And so I really like seeing that and, and seeing you do it and having you ask those questions of me has certainly pushed me to think about that more. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. And it didn't, like I said, it didn't start off that way. I look back on my, my old videos and they're pretty rough. Like I, I'm just, just walking around in the dark on those. And I'm glad that right now I feel more comfortable I think a big part of it is doing these podcast interviews. Like I, like I've been on so many different shows, whether it's Robert Boer's show um, or any other number of podcasts that I've been on. And it's great that we do these shows and we're kind of traveling in the same circles. So you had Robert Boer on, I think last week or the week before. And that's great that we can all collaborate because as you saw from that little blurb from the mighty is that that's what I feel my biggest strength is is collaborating and being able to give voice to other mental health advocates who might have not been able to uh, reach a larger audience, especially through video. I love it when I interview people who are so nervous because they've never done anything on video, certainly nothing on Facebook Live, and they shine, and those are some of the most popular interviews. Yeah, that, I, I think that's so true. And actually listening to your interview um, with Robert Four, who does the Christian Mental Health Podcast, we'll link to that too. It's an outstanding podcast. I'll mention that. One of the things that I thought was so inspiring hearing that episode you were on is just talking about your story about how you got into mental health advocacy. Would you mind telling our listeners what brought you to the place that you're at now in terms of advocating for mental health through social media and other arenas? Yeah, well, I've always dealt with mental health issues my entire life, but it wasn't until I joined the Army in 2009 and had a mental breakdown, had to leave the Army prematurely, where I realized that this is something that is serious and it's not just going to go away, not something I can sweep under the rug and pretend doesn't exist. So it took a long time from there. I didn't really start sharing my story until late 2014. And it was it was a long process. I mean, imagine that time between 2009 and 2014 of just living um, in the dark, not wanting to talk about these things, having nothing going for me, feeling suicidal, chronically attempting suicide, and ending up in the hospital a few more times, um, placed under restraints, forcibly catheterized, thinking like, this is just my life. There's nothing that I have to look forward to um, other than just like laying around, maybe go regular hospitalizations, probably end up in a permanent care situation. But when I started sharing my story, I really felt emboldened and I, I, I gained strength 
from sharing my story. And even though at the, when the beginning, when I first started sharing my story, like I felt like it wasn't worth telling, like, what did, what did I do? Like my story isn't either dark enough or not inspiring enough. It's not, it's not over. So there's no bow at the end. There's no happy ending, but slowly, but surely and getting big opportunities from people. I remember my first big break was working with Amy Blue from project semicolon who's since passed away and from there, things have been building up, whether it's working with the Mighty or This Is My Brave or any other um, organizations that I've been privileged to be able to, given, given the opportunity to shine. And so that's pretty much my story so far. Thanks for talking about that. I mean, one thing that you mentioned in that is your experience with restraints, and it seems like that really had a strong impact on you in one direction of your advocacy. Would you mind talking a little bit about your position on restraints and enforced treatment? Yeah, the anti-forced treatment thing wasn't something I was really open about until probably the past year because I kept hearing this thing over and over again that it's for your own good and that you should be grateful because like now you're doing all these great things as a mental health advocate and if you weren't placed under restraints, if you weren't forcibly hospitalized, you never would have been able to get stabilized. And for the longest time, I just accepted that. And that's all I would hear from others. And so I finally started to connect with people that were also anti-force treatment around like fall of uh, 2016. And that really opened my eyes because I felt validated. It's like, yes, like this, this was wrong and this wasn't for my own good. And it was very traumatizing. That's something that I'll, I don't think I'll ever get over. I mean, yes, it emboldened me to become an advocate, but it's not like I, I'm grateful that it happens because I get to do like all this uh, anti-force treatment advocacy. It should never happen. Anti-force treatment should not exist. Uh, force treatment, excuse me, should not exist at all. Whether it's the use of restraints, whether it's forced catheterization, whether it's forced meds, um, coercion, um, gaslighting, all that stuff that just makes it so like i i don't understand how that could be seen as helpful i really hope that in say 20 years we'll look back on right now and think like i can't believe that we did this to people similar to how we look back on lobotomies or tripping it's it's got to get better and it's not going to get better unless more people talk about it and speak against it and i've One of the most rewarding things is that I get a lot of backlash. I get a lot of hate. I get people blocking me and friending me and all that stuff. But when I can get people who normally wouldn't share about this experience, their own experience or speaking out against forced treatment, whether it be in in the government, um, working on legislation work, people that were once silent about that and feel feel, um, um, empowered to speak about it through my work, that has been the most rewarding thing because there's a lot more people that are against forced treatment that are public about it. And what are the main objections that people make when when they're arguing for forced treatment you said they you mentioned that they say it's for their own good is it that they believe that their judgment is better than the person who's being directly affected well i think the large percentage of the uh the negativity against me is from parents and caregivers because 
they they feel as if their back is against the wall that they've tried everything like they've they've tried uh helping their son or daughter with therapy uh getting to take different kinds of meds and then work and then the person becomes uh rebellious or even violent and you i can i can um understand why someone would think that forced treatment is the only option and even if it's the last option but there's got to be there's got to be a better way and i think the thing is is that we we think of if someone is in uh, quote unquote florid psychosis that they are at a risk, uh, they're a danger to themselves or others. And from my experience, and I've learned from other therapists who actually do treat people like this, what compassion is that when you can see someone eye to eye and not come from a place of that you know better than them, that you're coming from a place of paternalism, and it's it's it's, it's, it's like working backwards. I got to get this person to understand that they're sick or they need. Uh, to be restrained or go on 5150 and voluntary hold. And when <laughs> I don't think that working from that perspective is going to be helpful in the long run when you can come from perspectives like I just want to listen to this person. Yeah, what they're saying, I don't agree with as far as like say like they think that they're JFK's uh, long lost brother or they can fly and stuff like that. Like Obviously, most people would disagree with that. But we have to be able to treat people with more compassion and not from a place of invalidation. And then I truly believe that we're able to basically talk to people as if they're people. And I, I really, I really believe that when we can do that, that forced treatment won't have to be an option because people will be able to talk about their experiences in a way that they know that they won't be judged negatively, that they can say certain things and not have to worry about the cops being called on them and so on and so forth. Yeah, this is where I think your lived experience piece and also your amplifying of other people's experiences really helps to basically show the, the humanized element of this because I think you're right in the abstract. You can kind of hear these arguments about why it's better for the person and and why those arguments might be made, but without listening to the perspective of the effects it has on people when they're in forced treatment and in restraints can really miss the whole picture. So what you're doing is an important piece of this. And I also know part of it, it sounds like, is also really familiarizing yourself with the policies that exist and and working at a legislative level as well. So I, I think that's, that's such an important part of the conversation, and I think it challenges even some of the things that are maybe taken for granted by people like me and other people. And so that's that's really important. Yeah, and, and as far as people with live experience, I mentioned gaslighting, and the thing is, it's like I like I said before, that we're told that it's for our own good, and when that gets reinforced, and that's all you hear, you you accept it. You think like, yeah. They're right, and I'm wrong. Um, I'm I was so sick. I didn't know any better. Like I needed to be restrained, and I think that leads to more people with live experience being supportive of forced treatment. And if we had alternatives, alternative perspectives, I think there would be a lot more people who were forcibly hospitalized, who were restrained, that can come out and say, "No, that was not right. There's got to be a better way." Yeah, and you know, the other thing like you're saying is that I, I can see why it would be difficult to feel okay and accepting of one's mental health 
and different ways of thinking when also being told like, look, you, you don't know what's for your own good in that kind of way. And I think that having those types of things while balancing, because like you said, it seems like some of this comes from a place of reducing danger, but it seems if I'm understanding correctly that it goes beyond that in in many cases. And so then to have people kind of being told you know, you, you don't know what's for your own good, but also you shouldn't feel bad about yourself. That that seems like a really difficult conflict to me. Yeah, and even more so just the very nature of confinement, because there's people who say like, oh, if we just made the psych wards cleaner and there was more oversight and would they get to do like uh, play games and stuff and stuff, but put artwork on the walls. It's still locked down and the person can't be able to to plead their case it's like no like i don't deserve to be here like i may have been in a state where i said some things that were taken out of context or were were used as a way to okay this person said that they feel like dying therefore we can lock them up and no like maybe the person just needed to get these feelings out and needed to work through them with someone who was not going to look for these hot words that can be used to lock them up. And then, I don't know if you know this, there's been studies on this, is that people tend to uh, die by suicide within the weeks and months after being released from a psych ward. So there's there's something to be said for that and how there's got to be a better way. I know I keep repeating that, but when people are coming out about their suicidal thoughts, they're hospitalized, they're taken in a police car, and they end up dying by suicide like as soon as they're released or even during, something is wrong there in the system. And I really believe that the very the very nature of confinement is is wrong. Um, and even with, with prisons where it's more about punishment and confinement than actually trying to rehabilitate and get the person to to live a better life. And we we got a long way to go, and I really believe that when more people have freedom to express themselves, whether we think that that's, there's illness talking or they've got a brain disease, we need to listen to people, and I really believe that's the only way to avoid othering people and putting them in restraints and putting them in these prisons. You know, what you're saying reminds me a lot of um, what Marsha Linehan said in Dialectical Behavior Therapy that people thought was, when she talked about the goal of keeping people outside of the hospital, mainly working with people with chronic suicidality or borderline personality disorder, and that was viewed as strange at the time. But her, her thing was, you know, I, I want you to, I want to coach you and work with you to have skills to live your life. And and a stated goal was reduced hospitalization. And so it's it's interesting also to hear that I know that, again, that was met with some controversy because, like you said, there are these other factors that go into place in terms of certain words are met certain ways, and, and we need to pay attention to the effects that this has on people. So I appreciate that perspective, and I um, I encourage listeners, again, I'll link to, to Rudy's website to learn more about his positions, and he's post good about posting videos when he's talked about this and those types of things. Um, Rudy, I want to change gears just a tiny bit here and ask a little bit about your mental health advocacy work and just how does that kind of fit in with your own self-care? And I'm curious if there's kind of any interaction between those two things. Yes, because I have the privilege of being able to be a quote-unquote full-time mental health advocate. This is mm-hmm. 
this is all I do because I was I was lucky enough really to be able to get VA disability after I was discharged from the army. So I I take that privilege and I use it to its full advantage. That's why I can travel to conferences like the American Association of Suicidology Conference. I can spend all these hours doing social media, doing no restraints and doing all preparation for that and doing all these speeches that I do. Because there was a time where I was like, you know what, I'm just going to collect a paycheck and I'm just going to lay around and that's the best I can hope for in life. And thankfully, that got old after a while and I, wa- I wanted to, to do great things with my life. I've always wanted to do great things with my life as far as being a public figure and using my voice and being in front of an audience to share my truth. But I also dealt with a lot of self-doubt, body image issues, and just really bad self-esteem. So it's like this... It's just, it's, just, it's just like dichotomy that's, that's like constantly fighting against each other, this negative self-image, but also wanting to, to do all these things in life and also being bipolar. And I don't know if those two are related because they really feel like different poles to my personality. But yeah, no, self-care, it's, I, I, I said, I, I do have the privilege of being able to take breaks whenever I can. So like I can spend entire days just doing nothing and that's, that was hard at first, especially when the ball was rolling as far as getting work and mental health advocacy, mm. because I thought if I took a break, then the work would slow down. I would I would get less uh, opportunities. But now I realize that things are going to be OK. I could take two weeks off and the world's not going to end. But I do treat this as a full time job. And I don't feel as if I'm overwhelmed. I know you mentioned that I'm doing all this stuff like I'm going to Boston in a few hours. That doesn't feel overwhelming. Maybe at a time where just doing this podcast would feel too nerve-wracking. But now I feel like I'm in a good place where I can juggle all these balls and still feel as if like I'm taking care of myself. One of the things that, um, one of the exciting events coming up that, that I saw is that you're planning a This Is My Brave event. And I want to ask you about that in a minute. But one thing I, I wanted to mention first is that I watched your video that you made for This Is My Brave where you describe what mania is like. And I teach a, I teach classes on mental health and I'm frequently trying to find videos that, that help the students to understand the experiences of people who, are, who have different mental health issues including um, bipolar disorder and others. And it's they frequently say hearing people who have those experience talk about it makes a big difference. It's hard for them to understand just from reading in a text or something like that. And I sometimes, I have a hard time finding certain things, but after I saw your mania video, I, I think it's so moving and so clear and so powerful as to what your experience with mania is like. And I just think it's fantastic that now you're planning uh, this or that you're involved in uh, this is my brave event. And I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about that. And I will also link to the video that I'm talking about in the show notes. Yeah, my main goal with that with that story because I've done tons of presentations where I just tell my story like straight up from like beginning to right now. And I knew I didn't want to do that for this is my brave. Well, first off, I only had five minutes, so I can't like go into too much detail. So I wanted to go back to my roots of when I was an actor because I missed that so much. And I had to stop because first off, I 
was having trouble remembering my lines due to the meds I was taking, but also I was just getting too overwhelmed. I was actually uh, structured out of a rehearsal one time because I had a catatonic episode just because I was so overwhelmed by all the stress that the show was causing. So it became clear that maybe, maybe the whole acting and theater thing is not good at this moment. So I did public speaking, but when This Is My Brave came around, which I've been following for a while, I've known the executive director and co-founder, Jennifer Marshall, for a few years. So I felt like I was ready. And so I did like a five-minute piece that was basically uh, going through a manic day, which was probably, I think, in twenty early 2015. This was a real experience, and it only lasted one day. And that was the, that was the scary thing about it. It was like, wait, was what was going on? Was this... I just felt like a bad dream afterwards and going from waking up, just feeling like, oh, my God, like I'm not depressed for once. I woke up and I'm not depressed. What is going on to having all this energy and just being able to like go to the beach like at 4 a.m., spend all this money like on breakfast and all this stuff and like just be reckless driving and like be around people that I normally wouldn't be around and all this stuff. It was just it was a very tumultuous day that just feels like like a distant dream now. And I actually had a second day like that. That was not as as wild. I felt like I had learned from that experience, like maybe like a year later. And that was the last one in like November of 2016. But yeah, I went through that day and, you know, I actually got some, some blowback from that performance because they felt as if I was glorifying mania or that it was triggering. Uh, I hear the word aggro thrown around a lot. And, yeah, it is, it is a double-edged sword mania because, like I said, I was so relieved that the depression had been lifted, that I finally had energy. But obviously I have to watch myself because these things can take over me as far as making um, unwise decisions, to say the least. But I don't see mania, especially bipolar, as necessarily a bad thing. I think it's really comes down to how can we learn from this and how can we manage it in a way where I, I'm, I guarantee you, Katie and Brandon, that I will be manic again, but that doesn't necessarily have to lead to me being hospitalized or me being treated as if I'm this uh, like strange, bizarre, or even dangerous person. And I wanted to get that across in the performance. And I hope uh, your audience can watch it. It was actually also adapted into a short film for The Mighty as well. I just I just want to get across that as much as mania can take over my life in ways that I don't I wish it didn't I also don't see it as a bad thing and sometimes I think man like I wish I was just manic just for one day again and just to have that feeling and also know that it wouldn't I I wouldn't make the same mistakes as last time so I guess some people just think that that's wrong that we should just treat mania and bipolar as these diseases that are there's no good to be seen in them and i very much disagree you know the the thank you for for explaining how that came about and your acting background that that ties it together i mean it's just it's so good the the video um the mighty version is also very good which we'll link to that the thing that i mean all of it it was so powerful but one of the most poignant parts to me is is what you're saying which is the relief of not experiencing that that painful depression why mania might be viewed as welcome to people and the idea that 
to speak honestly about that might be dangerous in some way. And therefore, we should kind of paint it in these all or nothing categories that this is just wholly bad or wholly good rather than talking about ways to manage it effectively, like you're saying. I think the nuance that you bring to that is and, is important. Yeah, and I, I, I really want to do all I can to to lead that discussion because there needs to be no more nuance in how we talk about bipolar and other mental illness diagnoses. And I really want to get across is that like I'm, I'm always going to be bipolar and if there's whether there's a cure or not I would not take it because this is this is who I am and I get it when people where they've been through very traumatic experiences such as nearly losing their life or losing loved ones uh, as a result of, of manic psychosis and things of that nature but I really feel as if it's possible to get to a place individually and mentally where we can be bipolar, we can be open about it, we can be manic, we can be depressed, and not have it be this thing where society looks at looks at us as diseased and needing to be cured. It's just, just another way of living, and the more acceptance that we have and the more accommodations that we have, similar to other people with disabilities, I really believe that the less the less awful that bipolar and other mental illnesses will be, they'll just be just different ways of being. I want to kind of build on this topic just a little bit more. So <clears throat> you wrote an article for The Mighty called I'm Bipolar and I Don't Want to Be Cured. Uh, I saw you talking a little bit about it on Facebook and some of the reactions and feedback you'd gotten about it. I know you've kind of touched on these points already, but would you be willing to just kind of summarize the basic argument about that and maybe talk about some of the reactions that you've gotten? I wrote that piece on World Bipolar Day, and I, like I said in my bio, I sometimes write, and I am I'm, I'm the laziest writer in the world. I think I'm like late on like four different deadlines right now, but I had to get that out. I had to force myself to sit down and just harry that thing out because it was so necessary on that day of all days. Like I said, my perspective is not shared nearly enough, and probably like 90% of the reaction was negative from that piece, most likely because they thought I was advocating for no meds, and I am. Mm -hmm. That's that's not what I was getting at. I take. I'm looking at my meds right now, like in their little, uh, uh, little, uh, little uh, capsule things or whatever you call that jars. <laughs> but but yeah, no, I am. I am. I am pro meds. I mean, I wouldn't say pro meds, but I, I feel as if like for me they're necessary. And I know a lot of people where if they didn't take them that they're they would just be just all over the place. And I, I mean, I I, I hear from other sides that say it's just a withdrawal and once you get them completely out of your system, but I've done that too for like six months at a time and I, I'm better with meds, end of story, for now at least. But as far as a magic pill to take away everything, which I wanted for the longest time because none of these meds were working, at least in the long term, like right now, no, I'd rather just learn how to, to accept bipolar, to live with it, to work with it, to use it to my advantage and I think I'm I think I'm in a good place right now. I know not everyone everyone has different journeys, and I want to get that across is that not everyone has to get to a place where they're mental health advocate, public speaker, writer, all this stuff. Different people have different wants and needs, and when we can respect those needs, I think more people would feel as if bipolar is not such a scary thing. And the the more we can talk about that and have those different perspectives, recognize and acknowledge as equal. 
then the less scary bipolar will be. So I wrote that knowing that it would get a huge backlash because I'm used to hearing people say that bipolar is this and that awful thing needs to be cured. And I certainly don't see bipolar as a gift or superpower or anything like that. I'm not like, hell yeah, bipolar, greatest thing in the whole world. Sign everyone up for that. No, I probably wouldn't wish bipolar on anyone else. But the fact that I have it, it's not going anywhere. I fully embrace it. I have no problem saying I'm bipolar. I know there's a lot of people who say, no, you're not bipolar. You have this disease and you need to accept that, that you're sick and you need to get help. But their version of help is, is I feel a little misguided and doesn't tell the full story. So yeah, like, there was a lot of negativity, a lot of hateful comments. My, my favorite one is people that said that I must have been manic while I wrote that. And that's just part of the stigma that someone can't talk about this. Someone can't talk about manic in uh, this uh, somewhat positive way without being manic themselves. So you see like what the, the, the vicious cycle we get in where people feel afraid to talk about these things because then they're going to be judged as manic, as ill, that need to be hospitalized. So when people feel as if they can't talk about these things, they don't, and it becomes this awful thing. Thank you for describing that, Rudy, and we'll, we'll link to that piece, too. And and I I just have to say, you know, I promised you we'd keep, we'd, that we'd keep it to 30 minutes, but I, I really, and we'll let you get about all the, get onto all the other stuff you're doing, but I really, really appreciate you being on. You're doing such inspiring things. And I want to tell you, for me personally, the arguments that you've made in certain things or the experience you've described have influenced my perspective about mental health and you are impacting people, which hopefully you know, but I'll say that you're impacting me too. And I just really, really appreciate you sharing your story so that we can share it with our listeners as well. You know, that means a lot, Katie, because I am i don't have a college degree. I, for the longest time, I thought I was going nowhere in life. I knew nothing about anything. So to hear that from you, that really means a lot because the more I hear that, the more people that are or at least, at least trying to understand my perspective and not just automatically shutting it down, it makes me feel as if I'm headed in the right direction. My views may be altered here and there, but I really feel as if I'm, as if I'm in the right, as, as like, as I guess like it's egotistical as that sounds, but I wouldn't be pursuing this and pushing forward if I didn't feel as if there was something, there was some, there was some truth in the work that I'm doing. And one of the things that's impressive about that is that you have, your truth about it, but I hear you multiple times acknowledge other perspectives and compassion for people who come to from other points of view. And I, I think that is something desperately needed in the area of mental health and pretty much any discussion. The idea that we can under we can come to different perspectives, but we can be sharing the same information. We can still have compassion for each other. And so I, I've heard you do that multiple times. I just think it's such a great model for these types of discussions. So thanks again, Rudy. Is there, we, before we ask you where people can find you, is there anything else we should talk about before we wrap up? Yeah, I just want to say I love your show. I'm a proud uh, supporter on Patreon, and I'm still waiting for my Vince McMahon episode. 
I know we owe you. I'm sorry. I'm we're not we're not great to our patrons. We really appreciate you, but we also take a long time. I think there were months lag before yeah, we did our last yes. patron dedicated episode. But it is summertime, so we're on it. Yes, Rudy. I promise this to you on the air. <laughs> good, good. Uh, there's, there's there's no better motivation than a guilt trip. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, man. So <clears throat> if people want to find you, Rudy, we're going to put a whole bunch of links in the show notes uh, for you. But where, where's the best place to find you and the work that you're doing, the really great work that you're doing? Oh, thank you. And I'm, I'm sorry we didn't get to talk more one-on-one, uh, Brandon, but I'd love to have oh, you that's on. Okay. I'd love to have you on No Restraints, which you can find live um, every Friday except for the second Friday of the month, which is when I do my monthly Facebook Live for the Mental Health on the Mighty Facebook page. But otherwise, Fridays, 12 p.m. Pacific which I believe is 2 p.m. Central time, where you, where you are at. T- time zones don't work for me, so you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> no, I, don't I think get you're them. right, but I've mixed it up before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I'm going to the East Coast uh, today, so that's going to be make things even worse. Sure. But 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, I believe that's 7 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time, which I've learned from a past <laughs> guest. <laughs> Facebook.com slash Rudy Caceres. My page is public, so you can follow me all you want. Um and then later on in the day, I embed the Facebook Live video on rudycaceres.com slash no hyphen restraints. It's a hyphen, right? Or M dash. <laughs> but that is the website. You can check all of them. They go in reverse chronological order. Because sometimes people like ask, like, oh, where can I find like such and such episode? They're all there, just ready to be consumed. Don't need a Facebook account. Just go and have at it. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at Rudy Caceres, one word, no space, no funny uh, pronunciation. <laughs> and uh, this is my brave. Go check out thisismybrave.org because even if you're not in L.A., they do shows all over the country and even in Australia. So thisismybrave.org. Find out more how you can get involved, whether it's an audition, volunteer, uh, merchandise that you want to buy from their online shop. But if you are in L.A. or Southern California, Please reach out to me. I'm having auditions Sunday, uh, June 10th, and Saturday, uh, Saturday, June 16th, from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. Um, I can you can put, I can give you the link as well to sign up for auditions, like 15 minute block. I really want as many people to come out and share their story. Otherwise, I'm just going to cast my friends, and that's not going to be very fun. <laughs> but the show, the show, the actual show is seven. Is this show going to go up before June 10th? Yes. Yes. It'll go up on Friday. All right. Cool. So Saturday, September 22nd, 7 p.m. is This Is My Brave Los Angeles, which is at the historic Warner Grand Theater, which is a huge place. It's cavernous. I was there a couple of days ago. It seats nearly 1,500 people. So I'm going to need as many of you listening, the Jedi Council universe, to come support (laughs) And let us know. Let us know. Um, just feel free to yell at me when I'm on stage. Like, Jedi Council brought me here. <laughs> <laughs> so those are those are the things going on, I believe. So, yeah, Facebook.com slash Rudy Caceres, Rudy Caceres.com slash no hyphen restraints, at Rudy Caceres, Instagram and Twitter, and go check out thisismybrave.org to learn more about that wonderful organization. That's that's so great. I, I really encourage everyone to go check out the work that Rudy's doing. I look forward to continuing to talk more one-on-one, Rudy. I'd love to be on your show sometime. And I also just want to say just how incredibly inspiring I find all the work that you're doing and the openness that you bring to talking about your own experiences. That's 
it's not something that falls within my skill set. So to see someone else doing it, it really inspires me uh, in a really impactful way. So I just really appreciate you taking the time to be on here and to talk with us and and tell your story to the people who take the time to listen to the show. Well, I appreciate learning, um, being able to talk to people that are grad students or just starting out in the mental health field. And I appreciate all your support, Brandon and Katie. So, yeah, I can't wait to have you on the show soon. No restraints, uh, Brandon, um, because it's for your own good. That sounds great. (laughs) All right. That sounds good. Well, should we wrap it up there, everyone? Sounds good. Okay. Thank you, Rudy. That sounds good. Well, uh, we'll talk to you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Jedi Council Podcast, a member of the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. You can find more information about our podcast or blog at www.jedi-council.com. If you would like to support the Jedi Council Podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Jedi Council. The views expressed on this podcast are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. Additionally, This podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help.